Cerebral is an online mental health service that offers prescription medication, counseling, and therapy for anxiety, depression, ADHD, insomnia, and more. Cerebral is one of the few services that provides prescription medication online through a licensed provider and ships medication straight to your door. You can schedule sessions based on what's most convenient for you, and you don't have to wait weeks to be seen. And BuzzFeed Daily listeners can receive 65% off your first month of medication management and care counseling at Cerebral.com slash BuzzFeed. Go to Cerebral.com slash BuzzFeed for 65% off your first month. Join Cerebral today on their mission to make quality mental health care accessible and affordable for all. BetMGM welcomes you with a special offer on the NBA. Simply place a $10 Moneyline wager on today's game. If either team hits a three-pointer, you'll win $200 in free bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. Just use bonus code CHAMPION200 when you make your bet. BetMGM is proud to be an authorized gaming partner of the NBA. And there's endless ways to make it rain with the king of sportsbooks. Download the app or go to BetMGM.com and use bonus code CHAMPION200 to win $200 in free bets if a three-pointer is made in today's game. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. and Virginia only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. John Krasinski refused to let Jim cheat on Pam on The Office. Sean Mendez and Camila Cabello are no longer dating. And we're talking to BuzzFeed News' Joe Bernstein about the recent influx of Orthodox Jewish shows on Netflix and how the community feels about them. It's November 18th, 2021. Hey friends, I'm Casey Rackham. And I'm Stephen LeConte. Welcome to BuzzFeed Daily. So to kick things off, in Brian Baumgartner's new book, Welcome to Dunder Mifflin, The Ultimate Oral History of the Office, John Krasinski revealed the one scene he refused to shoot on The Office. Apparently in season eight, Jim was supposed to cheat on Pam with Kathy, her maternity leave replacement, but John thought it was too much. He said, quote, My feeling is there is a threshold with which you can push our audience. They are so dedicated. We have shown such great respect to them. But there's a moment where if you push them too far, they'll never come back. And I think that if you show Jim cheating, they'll never come back. I read this yesterday and my reaction was literally, what the fuck? (laughs) Like, yeah, I would have hated that personally. I do think fans would have hated that. Oh, yeah. You know, usually I'm like not into actors refusing to film scenes like I'm a writer. I'm very pro writer. But this is one case where I'm like, I don't know what the writers were thinking, but I absolutely would have revolted. And John Krasinski was dead on with this one. Well, yeah, I think at this point it is fair to be like, what were the writers thinking? Because this is just totally not what the show is about. The show isn't about like emotionally deep cheating stuff if that makes right, sense exactly i think already my memory of those final seasons people were already annoyed with jim because he was just kind of not being present for pam and you could kind of like i feel like people started to get like oh no this feels this is hitting too close to home this is real relationships i don't like it 
I know. Yeah, it's starting to get a little too real. And I think that we all need to live in like the safe space where Jim really like loves Pam (laughs) and is not the kind of guy to cheat. So I guess what they replaced it with, because they did end up doing a scene where Kathy is trying to start an affair. Remember in that hotel room in Florida? And then he like runs away nervously. So I think this is an example of like, if you spend 10 years playing a character like John did with Jim, you start to really know that character. I think his instincts were correct. Thank you, John. <laughs> All right. In other news, Sean Mendez and Camila Cabello announced they've broken up. In a joint statement shared to both their Instagram stories, they wrote, quote, We've decided to end our romantic relationship, but our love for one another as humans is stronger than ever. We started our relationship as best friends and will continue to be best friends. We so appreciate your support from the beginning and moving forward. I mean, it's sad. Like, I feel bad for anyone who goes through a breakup. A breakup is awful. However, I will say Twitter just went crazy. (laughs) Twitter does not believe them. Not that they didn't break up, but that they were never together. Right. You know, and I will say, I don't know who here who follows Dumas on Instagram. They are really kind of iffy when it comes to getting things right. But they got this right like two weeks ago. It was on Dumas that Camila was overheard on an airplane asking what kind of movie she should watch if she just went through a breakup. Okay, well, then I take it back. I guess she actually is going through a breakup. (laughs) Or she just said it very loudly on an airplane, hoping that someone would report it to a celebrity (laughs) gossip Conspiracy theories. But yes, either way. I mean, yesterday, Shyla and I were talking about it, um, about Tom Holland and Zendaya and, you know, they want them wanting their relationship to be private. So it's like, yeah, a breakup or not, like going through some sort of split like that publicly. Not fun. I want to know who wrote this statement because they both shared the exact same statement in different fonts, which people oh. love talking about for some reason. <laughs> That's fascinating. I didn't clock that one. Okay, so I guess what do you think? Did a publicist write it and then text it to both of them? Do you think Camila wrote it? Do you think Sean wrote it? I feel like they wrote it together. Why? I don't know. That was my first gut instinct, Stephen. <laughs> I want. I want to believe they say they're still best friends, so I would believe they would collaborate on something like that. These are the things I just wonder about, about being a celebrity. (laughs) All right. Well, moving on. In the last few years, communities that have been traditionally underrepresented in film and television are slowly starting to get more screen time, which is objectively a good thing. But there's one community that isn't so happy about the way they're being represented, and that's the Orthodox Jewish community. Today, we're talking with BuzzFeed News' Joe Bernstein about what's been happening. Hi, Joe. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. All right, let's just get right into it. You wrote a very interesting piece for BuzzFeed News about the recent boom of TV shows on Netflix about Orthodox Jewish communities, because they've received a fair amount of backlash from actual members of these communities. Would you mind explaining what the central conflict is for our listeners? Yeah, sure. So um, I wrote about basically three very high profile shows on Netflix. Uh, One is called unorthodox. A lot of people watched it at the beginning of the pandemic. It's about a woman who leaves the heretic community. One is called My Unorthodox Life. It's a reality show about a woman who leaves her community outside New York City and becomes a fashion executive. And one is called Shtisol, which is a show about ultra-Orthodox Jews in Israel. And what some heretic Jews, ultra-Orthodox, you know, super observant Jews believe is that these shows sort of unfairly cast them in a negative light and that they only focus on the sort of the negative aspects of uh, these, these communities, which the shows tend to focus on the ways that these communities are very difficult for women, which they are, they're, they can be very repressive and the sort of ways that 
traditional, the sort of traditional Jewish observance keeps people from sort of fulfilling their identity. And so because of that, particularly Orthodox Jews who have a kind of more of a foot in the modern world have objected to what they see as a kind of one-dimensional or one-sided portrayal of ultra-Orthodoxy in popular entertainment. So, you know, the thing that really stuck out about your piece is this idea of representation. Hollywood has been making a push in recent years to create programming centered around communities that have been traditionally underrepresented in film and TV. You know, this is considered by most to be a very good thing, but why is it different for the Haredi community? Yeah, I mean, that was really the question that got me thinking about this piece. Um, Because um, you're exactly right that, you know, in some ways while the entertainment industry is far from being, you know, sort of completely representative, there's never been a better time to consume entertainment if you're a member of a religious or racial minority to consume media that's made with people, you know, with people of your background in mind, maybe by people of the same background, telling stories about that background. The issue with Haredi Jews is many of them, most of them don't participate in secular culture for religious reasons. And so when you're making programs about them, they're not only probably not going to be participating in the creation of those stories, but they may or may not actually be consuming them. And so you have a situation where a minority is being represented to a massive secular audience for kind of these these structural religious reasons, actually participating in that representation. You know, that's interesting you said that because I was actually reading the comments of your piece and someone brought up a question of, or just a, a statement rather of just like, well, that's interesting that they're not a part of it because of their beliefs, but yet they want to say in it. Is there? Did you think about that at all while writing the piece? Yeah, I mean, one of the expectations for entertainment now is that it's extremely accurate in its details of subcultures and of minority groups. Gone in many ways is the day where all the characters sort of relate to a stock like white guy, and they're just kind of there for lack of a better word for color. Uh, for an accent. And so the people who create these shows do rely on a network of ex-Haredi Jews, of people who've left their communities, who have a very strong sense, of course, because they grew up in those communities, of what they're like. And so in some ways, you actually have much more sophisticated representation of these groups than you had in the 1970s, 80s, and 90s. That said, you know, this is a difficult question for these groups, whether or not they do want to manage this representation. And I think that's also something that I sort of discuss in the piece. Yeah, you know, I, I want to talk about this because you mentioned in your piece that most of the writers or consultants who work on these projects that actually are from Haredi communities are no longer active members. And in some cases, they have pretty negative perspectives about these communities. Why do you think that's the case? And do you think that does end up coloring like the final product of the movie or the show? Well, I don't want to speak for everyone who's left a Haredi community. I think if you're a member of a religious community that is sort of a like a total institution in that way, and you leave it, you're probably going to have some pretty strong motivations behind it because what those groups tend to do is give you many, many reasons to stay. And they make it hard to leave. Not necessarily in an overt way, although they may do that. But if your entire life is within a certain social context that provides many things for you, it's hard to leave it. And so, yes, because the people who participate in these shows have left these communities, of course, stories about leaving and being unhappy are going to be overrepresented. I don't think anyone would really disagree with that. That said, you do have people, you have ex-Haredi Jews 
who, you know, for example, I talked to one woman who left New Square, which is a community in New York where men and women walk on opposite sides of the street. It's a very, 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 um, I mean, you know, highly observant, you know, maybe the most uh, repressive form of Judaism in that's practiced in the United States. And even this woman who left this, you know, really oppressive community in some ways said she doesn't agree with the representation that these groups get on television because she thinks it's too one-sided. Another woman I talked to, Malki Goldman, who left an ultra-Orthodox community in Israel said, is that she doesn't just want to show, she's a consultant and an actress, she doesn't just want to show the repression or people sort of at war with their communities, but she also wants to show what is beautiful about those communities and what makes people stay. And so... I think the sort of more sophisticated portrayals, such as in, in Shtisel, this um, Israeli show, they show people in conflict with themselves and their communities, but they also show why these communities have persisted for so long. It's not just negative. All right. We'll be right back with more from Joe Bernstein. It. We're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com/slash 2022. I'm Jake Halpern, host of Deep Cover. Our new season is about a lawyer who helped the mob run Chicago. We controlled the courts. We controlled absolutely everything. He bribed judges and even helped a hitman walk free until one day when he started talking with the FBI and promised that he could take the mob down. I've spent the past year trying to figure out why he flipped and what he was really after. From my perspective, Bob was too good to be true. There's got to be something wrong with this. I wouldn't trust that guy. He looks like a little scumbag liar, stool pigeon. He looked like what he was, a rat. I can say with all certainty, I think he's a hero because he didn't have to do what he did, and he did it anyway. The moment I put the wire on the first time, my life was over. If it ever got out, they would kill me in a heartbeat. Listen to Deep Cover on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From Cavalry Audio comes the new true crime podcast, The Shadow Girls. I always wanted to know what it felt like to kill somebody. And he started laughing. Prosecutors described him as a serial killer savant, picking up these girls, getting them in a position of vulnerability. When he got a hold of their neck, that was it. I'm Carolyn Osorio, a journalist and lifelong resident of the Pacific Northwest. I grew up near the banks of the Green River and in the shadow of the killer that bears its name. How many times did you bring the camera to one the river? Time. Just one time. One time. He started fantasizing about having sex with his mother. Then he fantasized about killing her. But this podcast isn't only about tracking down the killer. It's about the victims. We stayed in the woods. He always liked to go into the woods. She was just, to all of us, kind of strange. You know how he feels about prostitutes? Listen to The Shadow Girls on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 
Welcome back. We're talking with Joe Bernstein about the Orthodox Jewish representation in TV and film. So I want to keep talking about what you were talking on right before the break. You know, you spoke with several ex-Haredi folks who have somewhat conflicting opinions on these stories being told. For most of them, they're aware of and in some cases have even experienced some of the more repressive aspects of the Haredi lifestyle, especially women. One ex-Haredi woman you spoke to said, quote, it was misogynistic. I didn't feel respected or recognized by the men in the community. But like you mentioned at the same time, some think these shows lack depictions of the positive aspects of the Haredi life. Did any of them suggest how they think that balance should be struck given the negatives? One thing to keep in mind when you're talking about Haredi Jews is that Jews are a tiny proportion of people in the world and that within that percentage, Haredi Jews are a tiny proportion of Jews in general uh, or a, you know, a small one. And so the average secular person watching a show like this is going to have no context for that kind of a community. And so I think because of that, these shows have an enormous amount of power, even more so than a show that represents a, a sort of a disadvantaged or a minority group that hasn't been sort of traditionally shown on television or in film. And so I think there's just an extra degree of care that needs to go into these shows precisely because they may actually form the entire opinion of a person, particularly someone who doesn't live in a major metro area with a lot of variety Jews. I mean, I can walk around Brooklyn and, you know, see the men in the black hats with their sidewalks and, you know, the women in their, in their wigs and their skirts. But, you know, not everyone can. Not that you should go on like a Haredi safari, but you, you take my point. And so I think there's just a degree of responsibility when the only experience a person is going to have with a group of people who have been persecuted is through uh, mass media. You know, as we've mentioned, Hollywood has a long history of negatively portraying marginalized communities. In your piece, you mentioned how the Muslim Public Affair Council's Hollywood Bureau was created in 2007 to help create, quote, multidimensional portrayals of Islam and Muslims. I wonder, are there any plans for the Haredi community to create some sort of organization like this? Is that something they would even do or would that be engaging with the outside world in a way that they just don't want to do? So not the Haredi community itself. The Haredi community has its own entertainment that reinforces religious messages. And it's very sort of self-contained in that way. There are Jews on the kind of border of ultra-Orthodoxy who, who do maybe work in the secular world, who do engage with popular media, who do have plans for this. There's a woman I talked to named Allison Josephs who runs an organization called Jew in the City, which is very concerned with representations of Orthodox Jews in the media. And she told me she's in the process of building uh, something called the Jew in the City Hollywood Bureau. It's based on the impact model, she said. But she also told me, and this is a quote, that it's an uphill battle because there's so much contempt of Orthodox Jews from a lot of Jewish executives in Hollywood, which is ironic. I, you know, I think secular Jews feel that they know something about the Orthodox because they share sort of a religious heritage. But in fact, I think those assumptions, as Joseph was telling me, can be can be false ones. Yeah, it's such a complex issue. We really appreciate you taking the time today to help shine a light on it. Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. All right, that's it for today. Come back and join us tomorrow. And remember, John Krasinski is correct every once in a while. Be sure to subscribe to BuzzFeed Daily on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you go for your podcasts. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to come back for more of the biggest stories on BuzzFeed coming to you daily. I'm Jake Halpern, host of Deep Cover. Our new season is about a lawyer who helped the mob run Chicago. He bribed judges and even helped a hitman walk free. 
until one day when he started talking with the FBI and promised that he could take the mob down. I've spent the past year trying to figure out why he flipped and what he was really after. Listen to Deep Cover on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us your attention. We need everything you got fast. Waiting on reparations. We be the illest podcast. Tune in every Thursday. Politics and wordplay. We fight for the people because they got us in the worst way. From the hill to Brazil, Bombay to Kanye. From the left enclave to what the neocons say. Every Thursday, cop the heady conversation. And, and break us off with some bread because we waiting, waiting on, on reparations. reparations. Listen to Waiting on Reparations on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Look through your children's eyes, and you will discover the true magic of a forest. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.